Good morning. Open your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to be in John chapter 8 and 9 today. And um, I want you to think about, we're going to, we're, this is the second I am saying of Jesus. We'll look at all seven of them in a minute, just kind of survey them. Um, if you need a Bible, the ushers will bring you one. Raise your hand, they'll bring you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please keep it. The, um, so I want you to think of when you say I am something, your identity. Okay, like I could say, I am a husband. And there's certain ramifications how I live my life, and there's certain ramifications how you see me when I say that. I am the pastor of Cornerstone Church. I am a mountain biker. All these things, every one of us have identities that we say, use the word I am to describe ourselves, and they all reflect something about me and how I interact with you in those identities. Does that make sense? Am I going to start over on this sermon? Does that make sense? Okay, good. Treat me with respect, unlike Micah. <laughs> Just kidding. I love Micah. We're buddies. So, um, Listen to the I am sayings of John. There's seven of them. We've already covered one. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. And think about how you relate to Jesus through these sayings. Today we're going to look at the fact that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then in weeks ahead, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. We will be going over these in the next several weeks, each one of them, as we learn Jesus' identity and how we relate to him. And I tell you what, I mean, I've known all these for years. But something about the study of the I am the bread of life and I am the light of the world in the last three weeks that I've been doing this, it's just opened my eyes to, to the scriptures, the things in scripture that is the depth there that I've never seen before. And it's not that it was secret and God had to reveal it. It's not that, that I have some special ability for God to reveal it to me. It's there's just layers to scripture that when we approach the scriptures with, with a heart to know God and an open mind, it's amazing what he reveals to us. And I encourage you, the next weeks from John, John 6 all the way through John 15, these I am sayings, read them with me. Seek God, say, teach me, and watch how he opens your mind to the incredible glory and beauty of our Savior through these sayings. And I am the light of the world is kind of, hell yeah, whatever. But this week, I'm blown away what I've learned from John's chapter 8 and 9. These I am sayings, show several things. They show the exclusivity of Jesus in our salvation. Jesus is not a bread of life or a light of the world or a door. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. All of these reveal something about Jesus to show his exclusivity. Only through Jesus do we gain access to the Father and ultimately salvation. They all reflect some kind of relationship. As I am the pastor of Cornerstone Church, that's just not a title. That suggests something to you about relationship. This suggests Jesus is the Savior who gives life to you, these titles. A Savior with whom you walk, the Good Shepherd. You walk with your Shepherd. That Good Shepherd guides and protects you. And these sayings refer to Jesus as the Lord after whom you and I follow. Very important concepts that we're going to go over, and I'm really excited about it. I hope you are too. So let's look at Jesus as the light in the Gospel of John. But first, I want to start in the prologue. Remember, it's been a long time since we started this, but in the prologue, that is John 1, 
1 to 18, introduced the themes of the gospel. And so a lot of the things we're talking about were already introduced in those first 18 verses. Let's look at what John 1, 4, and 5 say about Jesus as the light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is actually going to use that to say, I'm the life, light of life. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the ESV. Or as the New American Standard says, the gospel or the darkness did not grasp it. So what does light do? Just real simple. Don't get too deep here. It illuminates. So Jesus is the light of the world. He comes to his own, but they didn't see it. The darkness, whether it doesn't, the darkness did not grasp it, or did not, how would I say it, the darkness had not overcome it, or did not grasp it. Immediately we see in this passage a contrast between light and darkness. It's interesting, the word light in the scriptures, half the time it occurs, John uses it. The word darkness, almost every time it occurs, John uses it. So we understand light and darkness. Darkness represents lostness in scripture. It represents moral evil. When you walk in the dark, there's a moral evil. In fact, why don't you let, parents, why don't you let your kids be out in the middle of the night, two in the morning, walking through the city? Nothing good happens at two in the morning walking in the city. In the dark, everything, even Paul says, those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And so darkness is, is literal, but it's also a metaphor for what goes wrong in the world. It's opposed to God. Darkness is opposed to God, and God's opposed to the darkness. The scripture tells us darkness is the domain of Satan. Light is the domain of Jesus, the Son. And it is from this darkness that Jesus has come to deliver us. Because all of us are in the dark. Every one of us. It's where we're born, and it's where we live our lives until the light of the world shines on us. John chapter 1, 9, and 10, he, he skips a few verses in the prologue and comes back to it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So we'll see the reason why the world did not know him. It's because the world lives in darkness. We can take this back to last week where it's God who opens the eyes to see. I'll let you work on that. So that's, that's the prologue. I wanted to see the darkness and light and how scripture, the, especially the gospel of John, contrasts those and Jesus delivers us from the darkness. So let's jump ahead to John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus talks about being the light of the world. And we're going to look at John 8, 12, all the way through John 9, oh, about verse 15-ish in that area. It's a long passage. We're not going to read the whole thing. Jesus opens up this passage with claiming to be the light of the world. And then in John chapter 9, towards the end, he says, I'm the light of the world there. It's interesting. He opens it and closes the passage with, I am the light of the world, but never even mentions light in between. So we'll talk about what's going on there. But let's look at where he does mention it. So, again, Jesus spoke to them, referring to the religious leaders, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This passage is largely a conversation between Jesus and the religious leaders, specifically the Pharisees. 
Now, if you guys know the word Pharisee, you've heard that word, right? Pharisees? The word Sadducees, have you heard that word? Those are the two primary leaders in Israel. The Pharisees ran the synagogues. The Sadducees ran the temple. The Pharisees were responsible for the teaching of Israel, the principles of Judaism and, and the Old Testament. The Sadducees were responsible for the sacrificial system. The Pharisees were the conservatives. The Sadducees were the liberals. If you go to the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul uses that against them when they're arguing with him. So, so in this case, he's arguing with the Pharisees primarily. So he introduces, I'm the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. By the way, there's no middle ground. We're going to see here, Jesus brings an absolute. Either you're in the light or you're in the dark. There's no dawn. There's, there's no sunset. There's no gray. Either you're in the light or you're in the dark. So let's jump to nine now, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll show the two passages. We'll bracket chapter eight, then we'll come back to eight. So chapter nine opens up with Jesus doing a miracle. He heals a blind man. This is a great story. Especially as it illuminates, ah, the idea of light. I didn't mean that, by the way. That wordplay. John 9.1. As he passed by, he saw a, mi- a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Interesting question. If you're born blind, when did you sin to be born blind? One of those things that just pop out at me, I don't have an answer. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Let's always remember that, a little sidebar here. Always remember in the ailments in our life, in in the struggles we have, it may be in fact that we've done something, the consequences have come upon us. But a lot of things that happen to us have nothing to do with what we did or our parents did or our friends did or our brothers and sisters did. It has to do with the purposes of God as he delivers us from these things. So, verse 4. Verse 3. Verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So we need to work the works of God while it is day, but night is coming. So what's he talking about here? When is night coming? In, In the context of Jesus talking, when is night coming? The crucifixion. What happened at the crucifixion? Six hours after Jesus was crucified, what happened? It went dark, completely dark. So it appeared the night had won. It appeared darkness had won. And who is the prince of darkness? So it appears. We know what the next scene is of that, the resurrection. But he says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So this is incredible. The the symbolism of, of blindness to seeing and light and darkness is what Jesus is doing this to teach a principle. So let's look at some of the principles. So there's actual blindness in this person. So to be actually blind is to live in literal darkness. 
If there's no light can get through the pupils, whoever that works, I don't know the science of the eye. So, so the man was healed and can now see. So that's what literally happened. And Jesus uses that as a teaching moment to talk about him being the light of the world, coming into a dark world. It's a spiritual truth that mankind walks in the darkness, which means separation from God, controlled by the devil, enslaved to sin. But Jesus brings the enlightenment. He delivers us from the darkness. And that enlightenment brings a whole new way of life. Just like this blind man. Imagine this blind man. You've never seen in your life. You're born blind. And everything you've done, you've learned to live without sight. So now, by an amazing miracle, you can see. Let's presume 2020 vision. How does your life change? I mean, I mean radically. I mean, you could go into depth in this. Things that you only could feel before or have described to you or hear, now you can see. It's an amazing transformation for this man. And the point being, when you went from darkness to light, there should likewise be an amazing transformation in how you see the world and how you live in it. I, I became a Christian in April in 1979 on a Friday night at 4 o'clock in the morning. Some guys that, that I worked with we went to a concert together, a Christian concert, and then we, he, they witnessed to me all night long on the living room floor. And I remember the day, I've told this story before, but I remember all of a sudden, like Lydia, we talked about last week, it said that God opened her heart to respond to the things that Paul said. At some point, all of a sudden, my eyes were opened, and I could see what they were saying was true, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, and I'm responsible to him to come and, and, and su submit to him and, and believe in him for my salvation and follow him. It, it was just this open eyes. And then as we were leaving that night, Danny, who led me to the Lord, a guy named Danny Sosa, he, um, he said, Tony, I want you to go buy a Bible tomorrow. So went to bed, got up at noon, walked down to the Maranatha Christian Bookstore on Adi Boulevard, which hasn't existed for 30-something years. Walked in and said, I need a Bible. They said, what kind? There's kinds? <laughs> Just give me one. They handed me a Ryrie Study Bible, New American Standard, and I devoured it. But I remember coming out with my Bible in my hand. It was in that in a box. It just felt special. Coming out, and I saw the newspaper stand. And I remember what the headline said. Who, who knows what it says in April 1979? But here's what I remember. I was looking at that information with new eyes. Everything seemed new. Somehow there was this enlightenment that I now have a new life. I am under a new worldview, and I see the world differently. And it's never changed. And the more I've engaged the scriptures, the more that worldview is expanded to where living in the light is glorious. So we always got to make sure when we talk about getting saved, it's not just that you are forgiven. Forgiveness is wonderful. I always say that. It's not just that you're forgiven. Forgiveness is amazing. But that forgiveness puts you in this new family relationship called life and light. And we grow in that light. It's an incredible thing. This man literally did that. And Jesus is now using that to let his disciples know. 
You have a new life before you. There's a new world. Every day you'll see things differently in light of me. So what is that difference? The Gospel of John doesn't really tell us how you see life differently. First John does. The book that uses the word light the most is the Gospel of John. The book that uses light second most is 1 John. Let's look at a few passages in 1 John where Jesus talks about light. Or in case this is John talking about Jesus and the light. So 1 John 1, 5-7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say, and what is darkness again? So, so the kingdom of Satan, it is moral evil, it is, it is confusion, it is lostness. There's none in God. There's no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So this is a hard passage to read. In fact, the book of 1 John, I, I teach Greek, in Greek, John, 1 John is the easiest book to read in the Bible in Greek. It is simple grammar, simple vocabulary. But conceptually, and living it out, is one of the hardest books. Because it is in your face. If we claim to have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, by darkness meaning the moral evil, the lostness, being controlled by Satan, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's drop down to verse, chapter 2, verse 7 through 11. Beloved, I'm writing to you in no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, and in him is referring to Jesus, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. By the way, if Jesus is in heaven at this moment, when John writes this, the darkness is passing away, but the true light is already shining, who is shining that true light? Holy Spirit through whom? Us. You see, John never tells us we're the light of the world. Matthew tells us that. But it's implied here. If Jesus is at the right hand of God, he has sent the Spirit to live in us. Now, he, working through us, the light should be getting brighter in the world. And what's one evidence that that might be happening in your life? Let's keep reading. Verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and, there, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Because in the dark when you're walking around, what do you do? Like when I get up, this is too much information, but TMI. When I get up in the middle of the night, I, I like my room dark. But sometimes you have to get up and go to the restroom. TMI, I told you. And my dog likes to sleep in multiple places. <laughs> Sometimes on the rug at the bottom of my bed. As I'm maneuvering, thinking nothing's in my way, and I stumble over my dog because it is dark. You see, if, if you love your brother, it means you're abiding in light. And in this light, in Christ, there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is one test. As believers in Jesus Christ, the new life we're given, our eyes have been opened, we are transferred, according to Colossians, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, 
Jesus Christ's kingdom, it tells us in Colossians 1. Things should change in our lives. One indication is a growing love for the people of God. It's not perfect, because I know if I could take a vote and say, let's everyone point to the person they struggle with. Don't do that. It's, it's a growing thing in life, how to learn to love your brothers and sisters. But at the heart of Christianity, and we'll see this in the Gospel of John as we move forward in 14, 15, and 16, to love one another is a signature of the church. Even so much that Jesus says, the world will know your disciples by your love for one another. The reality that Jesus is real, the Lord who's come, died, buried, rose again, ascended to the Father, is communicated to the world when Christians live in love. So how well do you think the world sees that? We could do better. We must do better. It's our identity. It's our identity. So, 1 John brings out some of the application, what it means to live in the light. Let's get back to the Gospel of John. Because in the midst of these two declarations, John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world, and John 9, 5, I'm the light of the world, Jesus and John never mention light again. It's more about the identity of Jesus as Yahweh. And those of you that, that know this, what is the, Greek, the Hebrew verb for Yahweh? I am. Did you know that? God's name, when he, he declares his own name, he says, I am. So I want to talk about Jesus is the great I am. But the fact that he does this in between two declarations of being I am the light of the world, there has to be a connection of Jesus' identity as the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, I am, the great I am. We should have sang that song, Micah. The great I am and the light of the world. So let's, let's see if we can put that together. We have to go back to Exodus, though. Exodus is where God reveals his name to Moses. So this is the story of the burning bush. And so Moses is out. He's, he's basically run away from Egypt where he killed an Egyptian soldier. And he's basically hiding in the wilderness now for over 40-something for years. And he's, he has his father-in-law's sheep that he's watching. So he's up on what's called Mount Sinai. And he sees a bush burning from a distance. And it's not being consumed. So he, he, say, he moves aside to go see this thing. How can this bush be on fire but not be consumed? And that's when God says, Take off your feet, because you're standing on holy ground. So God is, this is where God commissions Moses to be the savior of Israel, to go back to Israel, go back to Egypt, and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. So you know the story. We're going to drop in in verse 12, because Moses doesn't want to do this. He says, are you nuts? That's kind of my interpretation. Because Pharaoh wants to kill me. I'm not going back there. And, and so there's this interchange between God and Moses. And we're going to drop into verse 12 where God makes a promise to him. And he said, I will be with you. So I want you to see on the screen up there. Keep that in your mind. I will be with you. Say it with me. I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you 
when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So that what he's saying there is there's certainty. If you go, I'll be with you, and it'll be certain that you'll come back with the people and worship me right here. Success in what I'm sending you to do. It will be accomplished. Whatever your fear is of the king of Egypt, put it aside. I am with you. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Very interesting. God had revealed his name to Abraham. But now this is 400 years later, and they don't know his name. They have forgotten the name of their God. What shall I say to him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. It's a simple verb. Just like the English I am, the Hebrew I am. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, and you see how the Lord is all capital letters? Go to the next verse if you could. Okay, it changed. Sometimes it's weird. You, you take a text out and you put it in the program, it takes the uppercase and puts it the lowercase. I don't know why that happens. When it comes to God's name, it frustrates me. So when it says up there, God will say to this people of Israel, the Lord, that should be all capital letters, and it is, it, it's, it is the way the English translates the name of God so that you understand what the name of God here is Yahweh, which is a simple verb. It occurs 7,000 times in the Old Testament. So you're going to tell them, the Lord, Yahweh, has sent me to you. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered through all generations. So that's a strong statement. So here's what I want to show you now. They're very important here, so stay with me. I hope I don't confuse you. Um, so so let, let's do this. Look at the next chart, or the next three lines. I will be with you. Moses doesn't want to go. God says, I will be with you. That's verse 12. God says, okay, Moses, says, then what's your name? They're going to ask me, what's his name? What does God say? I am has sent me to you. Do you see where the I will be and the I am are in italics? You with me? Talk to me here. In English, I will be is future tense. I am is present tense, right? In Hebrew, there is no tense like that. In Hebrew, it's the exact same word. The translators have to put it in future because when he says it to Moses, Moses hasn't gone yet for God to be with him. So the Hebrew tense, the, the, the time of it, future, present, or past, has to be from the context. What you don't know is the English reader, he's saying the exact same word to him. Moses doesn't want to go. I, th this is nuts, God, I can't do this. I will be with you. And I promise you, here's the proof, you're going to come back here with the people, you will succeed. What's your name? I am, the same word. The same word. Then we get to verse 15, and it says, the Lord has sent me to you. The Lord is what we call, is the word Yahweh. So this is where you got to pay attention, please. I always act like I'm insulting you, like you're not. Pay extra attention. God says this is a memorial name to all generations. It's worth thinking through this. The word Yahweh Translated in English as L-O-R-D, all capitals, 
is also a verb, but it's the verb he is. When God speaks to himself or about himself, he says, I am. When we refer to him, we say, he is. It's his simple name. Does that make sense? So 7,000 times, the simple Hebrew verb, he is, occurs as the name for God. But what I want you to get right here now is the fact that Moses is being promised God's presence and promised, he's given an impossible commission. You, Moses, and nobody go back to Egypt and deliver my people from the king of Egypt who functionally rules the whole part of that world. And I will be with you. I guarantee you success. In my name is that guarantee. So God says, I am. We say he is. So you're with me so far? Okay, now let's do this. I want to see this. This is, this is beautiful. It goes through all through the Old Testament. As you read your Old Testament and you'll say, you'll see this, I am Yahweh and I am with you. I am Yahweh and I am with you, constantly. So who replaced Moses? No. Sorry, I don't mean to say, you know. Who held Moses' arm up in battle? Come on, people. Joshua. Joshua, it's very important. Now you're going to make me give more history now. Do you know what Joshua's name in Greek is? Jesus. Do you know what Jesus translates into English? Jesus. Jesus' name is Joshua. Yeshua. Moses didn't bring people into the promised land. Who brought them into the promised land? Joshua did. Why didn't Moses bring them into the promised land? Because Moses represents the law. The law can't take you into life. Who takes you into life? Jesus does. So God puts a man named Joshua there to prefigure Jesus taking you into the true promised land. This is beautiful. This is the scriptures and the depth of scriptures that we must love. So back to Joshua. God tells Joshua, just as Moses, I was with Moses, I will be with you. And I'm going to drop into Joshua 1.5 so we can see how important this idea of being with you is. But Joshua 1.5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now there's an amazing promise. And how many, hey men, since this is a man leading, how many of you would like to hear from God all the days of your life and no one will stand before you? You'll conquer in everything. That'd be nice. Verse 6, in light of that, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand, to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Drop down to verse 9. But I have commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for Yahweh, your God, is with you wherever you go. So do you see the pattern here? The name of God, Yahweh, he is. He says, I am. We say he is. He's with Joshua wherever he goes. God gave an impossible task to Moses to bring the people out to Mount Sinai to worship. Did he? Yes, he did. He accomplished it. God gave Joshua an impossible task to take the people through the wilderness and conquer the promised land. Did it happen? So how come? 
because Yahweh, your God, is with you wherever you go. This is the meaning of God's name. So, let's see how Jesus reveals his identity as Yahweh to the religious leaders. In this context of John 8, there's an ongoing debate about Jesus' identity. The Jewish leaders are clinging heavily to their heritage as Abraham's children. And Jesus is telling them that due to their rejection of him, they do not know the God of Abraham, which is quite the slap in the face. So let's drop in at 8.21. He said to them again, I am going away, and you shall seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I'm from above. You are the world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sin, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, I just as I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. So back in verse 24, pull that up again, Janet, would you? Verse 24. Janet, could you go to the ESV first? Thank you. You see here it says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Do you see that? I am he. The, the Greek here doesn't have the word he. So now go to the next translation, Janet, which is the New American Bible. This is the Catholic translation. They, they did a phenomenal job here. That is why I told you that you will die in your sins, for, unless, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So English doesn't like having a phrase without an, an object to it. So I am he is put in. But Jesus is, 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 is kind of, he's not kind of, he's, he's trying to guide them into his identity. Unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. So We'll drop down because these leaders are walking in the darkness. Part of darkness is deception. They must see Jesus as Yahweh to come into the light. So let's drop down. Jesus has an ongoing conversation, verse 48, as we talk about the relationship to Abraham. The Pharisees say, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? That's like a softball lobbying. This is like Jesus... Sets him up big time. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I did not know him, I'd be a liar like you. Do you want to get yourself killed by Pharisees? That's the way you do it right there. But I do know him and I keep his word, implying you don't. Can you see the tension here? Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now the hammer's going to drop. So the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old yet. And you say you've seen Abraham? So I've asked this before. How many years did Abraham live before Jesus? 2,000 years. They're saying, oh, you're 50, not even 50 years old yet. But they, that was generous. He's 30-something. Abraham has seen my day. And rejoiced. You aren't even 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
before Abraham was, say it with me, I am. Now, if Jesus was only claiming to be older than Abraham, how would he have said it? Before Abraham was born, I was. I existed. It's not what he says. He uses the present tense. Before Abraham was born, I am. A direct declaration of the deity of Christ from Jesus' own lips. Some people say Jesus never claimed to be God. They've never interpreted this correctly. The Pharisees get it. What do they do? Verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You see, you just can't kill somebody for no reason at all. But you claim to be Yahweh? You're dead. So they understood completely what Jesus was saying. I need to get moving here. Let's go back to this impossible task that God gave Moses and Joshua. How do we tie Jesus as the light of the world to him being God? And if we could bring in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says that you and I are the light of the world. And the way we live our lives, and it says, it says there that a person doesn't take a light and put it under a bushel to hide it. A person takes a light and puts it on a hill to illuminate. So if Jesus is the light of the world, and in Jesus we then reflect that light. Keep that in mind as we're going to read Matthew 28. God gave Moses the impossible task of delivering Israel from Egypt. He gave Joshua the impossible task of taking this rebellious group of people into the promised land and conquer it. They both succeeded. Let's look at the impossible task that we're given now. Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Not some, all. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe Come on, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If God's promise to Moses, I am with you, was a promise not just of presence, but of success in his commission. If God's promise to Joshua was not just a promise of his presence, but of success in his commission. Then how do we interpret this here? God has given us an impossible task. To them, a super impossible task. There's 12 of them. Go convert the world. Make disciples of them. And if you think you can't do that, behold, I am with you till the end of the age. Has the end of the age come yet? Not yet. So who's he talking to today? Us. We reflecting the light of Christ, must witness to the world. Tell them Jesus is the light of the world. Tell them how to come out of darkness into light. We are the ones that proclaim the good news about Jesus. It is God who opens eyes. We don't open eyes. Jesus does. But it's our faithfulness in proclaiming that is his tool, his instrument, to see this impossible task accomplished. I just finished a class on the second coming of Christ here midweek. 
I remember asking the class, and I'll end on this. Can we hasten the second coming of Jesus? We have one bold person saying yes. A lot of people said no in that class. From a human perspective, I believe we can. Because it says Christ will not return until every nation has heard about Jesus. So who's been given the commission to tell every nation? So if we go do this, could it not hasten the coming of Christ? So let's pray. Father, all this information today, Lord, help us narrow in on the take-home that you want from your word. For me, Father, first it's to grasp what it means to follow, to love, to be the disciple of the light of the world, the great I am who became human to save us. So enlighten our eyes what it means to follow Jesus. And then, Lord, through the spirit Christ has given us to accomplish this impossible task you gave us, but not impossible anymore because your son is with us till the end of the age. Give us a passion for doing this. For me personally, Lord, help me to get over complacency, maybe even a, a tad of I don't care. Just help me to repent of that, Father. And to, to, to love being your instrument to see people come to the light, to have their eyes opened like mine were opened. Help all of us in this, Father, to realize we're not just here to enjoy this world. We're here to be your servants, your representatives, your light in this world. So, use us mightily, Father. And we love you and thank you. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.